Well, good morning. We serve an amazing God. There is no limit to his greatness. When we sing in the worship songs this morning, it just reverberated in my mind what a great God we have. Pastor Guy said to me, I'd be real honest with you this morning. I was, I was sharing with Lee. He called me up and he said, would you, would you like to teach for me on, on certain Sunday? And my first reaction was, uh, <laughs> I said, sure I will. I'd be glad to. But I have to tell you, I do admire him teaching every week and what that takes to put together. So let's be thankful for our pastor and the work that he does. Amen. He said, he always says, teach on whatever is on your heart. And what's been on my heart is the story of Naaman in in chapter 2 of Kings, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 5. The awesome way that God restores him to health physically and spiritually speaks not only to God's greatness but the power of his ways. Let's jump in. Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was highly regarded, valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Even though Syria and Israel had had a peace treaty, border skirmishes still occurred. In one of them, a band of Syrian soldiers captured a young girl from Israel. She was placed in the service of Naaman's wife. And as we will see, this is not a coincidence. The young slave girl must have had a special quality about her, a persona that drew Naaman to put her in the the servant's role in his house to his wife. And in in the day-to-day interacting with Naaman's wife, this special quality obviously impressed her mistress. For when the young Israeli girl offered her advice on how Naaman could have his leprosy cured, Naaman's wife didn't cast it off as a young girl's wild speculation or the the ranting of an uneducated slave. No, she listened to it with sincerity that it was given. She not only listened, but she took her advice and acted on it. So what was this special quality, this special uniqueness that the slave girl had? I love how one of the commentaries explained it. She was obviously well aware of God's saving presence through his servant Elisha, and it no doubt resounded in her countenance. She had a confidence in God. She knew what God could do. It reminded me of the confidence David had as he stood in front of Goliath and said, You come at me with sword and spear, but I come in you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. That's confidence. And she had it, just like David. She didn't hate the man who had captured her. She saw only his need. Let me say that one again, because it's powerful. She didn't hate the man who captured her. She only saw his need. Now there's a uniqueness that will grab your attention. She was able to rise above her circumstances and care for those who had wronged her. It was a deeply rooted part of her personality, her witness, and it showed. She spoke out her convictions. She spoke out of her conviction. Excuse me. Let me wind my mouth up a minute here. Okay. She spoke out of her convictions. She was unafraid and she had a bold, simple testimony. She was a light to the Lord in character and conduct in the midst of a dark world. All these assets of the slave girl's persona explain why Naaman's wife acted on the young girl's advice. And what was the advice? If only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Notice the young girl did not offer the advice selflessly. She did offer it selflessly. She didn't use the advice as a bartering strategy for her freedom. She didn't say, I'll give you the advice if you let me go. She didn't do that at all. She said, Here's the advice, free. Again, she had a confidence in God that overrode her circumstances. 
And she personified Psalm 31, 14, and 15, which is one of my all-time favorite verses. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. What a powerful witness she was for God. This young girl is someone you want to meet when you go to heaven. Now back to our passage. Naaman's wife took the slave girl's advice to her husband. I think he listened to the young girl's advice and was moved by what he saw and what he heard. Being moved by her advice, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl of Israel had said. Naaman's king said, by all means go. Go see Elisha. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10,000 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of leprosy. The king of Syria and Naaman assumed that the prophet the young girl described was subject to the authority of the king of Israel, and that this, the prophet's healing services, could be bought with, with a substantially large gift. Naaman would soon learn that there was something other than there's some things that money can't buy. When the king of I'm telling you a story here, so hang in with me here. <laughs> I know I'm just up here reading, but I want you to get the story because I know all of you are deep in the knowledge of Naaman, so trust me, I just want to give you a couple more tidbits. <laughs> when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of, je- of leprosy? He's trying to pick a quarrel with me. No doubt his mind was spinning about this is another prelude to war. This is just the first step of it. Elisha said to the king, have you torn, Why have you torn your clothes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. I can only imagine. I was thinking, what kind of a house do you think Elisha was living in? A prophet of God. Well, it certainly wasn't a mansion. It was probably a hut. That's what I, that's what I thought when I thought about it. And I also thought, so what, what does the scene look like? Can you imagine Naaman and his soldiers coming together, coming to the hut? Probably dressed, in a, dressed to, the, to the nines. Not on him, but his, but his uh, other soldiers. And he walks to the crowd and he knocks on the door. And who comes to the door? Not Elisha. Oh, you want to know what happens? Good. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be clean. The question for the day is, Why did Elisha not come to the door? What do you think? He said, Send the man over to me. Remember, he said, Send, send him over, and I'll, I'll take care of this. But when Naaman got there, he didn't come to the door. Why do you think he didn't come to the door and send his messenger? I think that too. Somebody else? Keep your eyes on the instructions of God, not on the prophet, right? Okay. Naaman became angry and he said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of leprosy. That was his expectation. The instruction that Elisha's servant brought infuriated him and left him, it met none of his explanations. In fact, they seemed ridiculous. Naaman said, I could wash in, in, in the rivers of Damascus. They are better than the waters of Israel. And he turned and left in rage. And doing that, he let his rage take over his thinking. He allowed himself to get so wrapped up in his own expectations that he didn't recognize that he was telling God what to do and how to do it. 
That's always a bad idea. <laughs> it reminded me of Peter, chapter 16 of Matthew, pulling Jesus aside and telling him, as Jesus had said, he was going to suffer the, with the, suffer the chief, chief priest's bidding, and he was going to be killed, and he was going to be crucified, and he was going to be raised on the third day. And Peter says, that will never happen to you. Because Peter had different expectations. And he let his expectations rule the day. What did God say? You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of men. You know, I've got a story I want to tell you about expectations, building expectations. I was working in a company and the boss's secretary, my boss's secretary and I developed a friendship and I would take her out to lunch every once in a while and she would always ask me about it. She was not a Christian but she had a thousand questions about Christianity and we used to talk about them but we never made any progress. Lunch after lunch after lunch, telling her, this is how God operates, this is how God loves you, this is how God died for you. She would nod her head, but I could tell it wasn't sinking in at all. And so I said, and she resigned three years into the job, and she went to another place in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I said, well, I guess that one's gone. Didn't catch that one. But she called us two years later, and she said, I hear there's a Billy Graham crusade coming to Denver. And I went, Yes, and she said, I really would like to come. Would you and Ellen mind taking me to the, to the crusade? I went, we would love to. This would be great. So I told Ellen, I said, here it comes. This is going to be a magic moment. So I went to the Billy Graham crusade with her. Ellen sat on one side, I sat on the other. Billy, uh, the, the worship tent, the music was great. I said, this is, this is a great build-up. What a great worship time as we had this morning. And um, Billy Graham gave a wonderful message, and then he gave the altar call, and I was like, <laughs> and she sat there and she didn't move I, th- I said something's wrong come on God you're dropping the ball here I know she's going to walk in all- God you're dropping the ball here and, I, and so she didn't, she didn't walk on the altar call we took her back to her hotel and on the way home I told her I said wow I just I don't understand this I mean of all the things everything was there why didn't God walk her down the aisle so two nights later, I get a phone call. It's her. And said, Debbie, how are you doing? He said, I said, wow, you sound like you're, like you're still in Denver. She said, yeah, I'm still in Denver. I said, wow, no kidding. I said, so what made you stay? She said, well, I, decided, I thought about it and thought about it and decided that I should go back to the Billy Graham crusade another night. And she said, I went down, the, went down and heard the crusade. And he gave a message that really struck my heart. He said that when, they, when Moses and the, and the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites, as long as Moses held his hand up like this, they would win the battle. When he dropped his hands, they would start losing. So she said, so Aaron and her held up his hands so they could have the victory. And she said, you know what? It struck me in my heart that I can't be a Moses, but I could be an Aaron or her. And she said, so I decided to walk down and give my life to Christ. <laughs> and I was going, oh, Lord, there's a message here for her and for me, isn't there? <laughs> I, I, I was trying to tell you how to run your business, and you showed me that you're God and I'm not. And I said, so thank you for that humbling message I will carry for the rest of my life. Naaman's servants went, so Naaman had an expectation. He was going away angry. But his servants went to him and said, my father, if, you, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have done it? How much more than if he tells you to wash and be clean? That's so simple. Go do that. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19.20 says, Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. I'm sure you hear the message. We need to surround ourselves with godly counsel. Ask yourself, 
Do you have people that you can go to for godly counsel? That's rhetorical. Damon listened to the advice of his, of his, of his, of his <laughs> Damon listened to the advice of his advisors, went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. The key to obedience is submission to God. And what happened to Naaman? His flesh was restored. Not only restored, but his flesh became like the, like clean like that of a young boy. What a God we have and what a father. To not only give him his health back, but to make sure he went even a step further and gave him the, the, the skin of a young man, young boy. What a God. Is there an amen out there? Amen. Naaman was changed. It was not from the dipping. It was not from the Jordan. It was the power of Almighty God that changed this leper into a clean, whole man. Amen. By surrendering himself to God's instruction, he got more than his health. He got spiritually cleaned as well and healed as well. Listen to his confession. Then Naaman and all of his, uh, all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and he said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except Israel. Been doing that since the Bronco game. <laughs> I thought, as long as I have my arms up, they'll be winning the game, right? <laughs> That's not how it I don't think it works that way. It's another, it's another one of those expectations that is not going to materialize. Yeah. I love how he says, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Yea, God. Think of the witness it was for his whole entourage. Then Naaman said, Please accept this gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a, a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Elisha wanted Naaman to be clear of what, he had, hurt, what had healed him. It was divine grace and not his power. God alone gets all the glory. Amen? There's some take-home messages here this morning that I'd like to spend some time on. We need to remind ourselves every day that we serve an amazing, glorious God, and his ways are perfect. I love Isaiah 55.8. If that's not a part of your memory verses, it needs to be. Isaiah 55.8 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. Wow, is that true? We need to be a witness for God's presence in our lives, much like the young girl's witness, even in dark times. We need to be careful not to be so rigid in our, in our expectations. God is God and we are not. We need to remember that the key to obedience is submission to God. We need to surround ourselves with godly counsel. In all things and in every situation, we need to trust God and give him all the glory. I have a good uh, relationship. My, one of my very closest friends lives in England. He's Andrew Pugh's father and Kelsey Pugh's father-in-law. And so whenever he writes a message for his church, he sends it to me and says, give me your advice. Whenever I'm about to teach, I send it to him. He sends it back to me. So I, I wanted to, he's a doctor, and he said, he, took, he said, I thought of it in a medical way, one of the lessons that might be learned. His name is Edwin Pugh. He wrote to me, Scripture doesn't give us the picture of what it must have been like when Naaman, when Naaman went home to his, to his wife, his, his, his king, his relatives, and his friends. I was thinking, that's really true. I want, can you begin to imagine what that must have been when he walked back or when he came back home and they decided that he was clean? That must have been a powerful moment. What we do know is it must have been a glorious reunion, a glorious celebration, and most importantly, a glorious witness and testimony to the limitless greatness of our God. 
It strikes me today, all week long I've been thinking, how great is our God? And what do we sing this morning? We've, all those powerful words about who God is and why he's the Savior of our lives. I thought, whew, as I do often, stop and say, God, I feel your presence. I, I see it in the worship. I see it in the message that you give, you've given me. I said, that's powerful. So I, what I wanted to do, the worship team can come up and I wanted to, I wanted to read the words of a song that I, I like dearly and sing the chorus. Maybe you would sing it with me. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depths of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. And I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. And the people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.